Welcome back to another week in the wonderful world of SaaS. You are listening to the official SaaSter podcast brought to you by Jason Lemkin and myself, Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute VC. And today we're back with an interview featuring an incredible young founder in the space, Mathilde Collin, co-founder and CEO at FrontApp. FrontApp is one of the most exciting new startups in the enterprise space, working in the world of email collaboration. And their pedigree is illustrated by their funding from our friends at SoftTech VC and being one of the also from Y Combinator's summer of 2014 batch. And the show today is a little less metrics dense and very much focuses on the key takeaways from YC, life as a young enterprise founder, and the challenges of content marketing as a new sales technique. Also, if you'd like the chance to win a signed copy of Jason Lemkin's new book, How Hypergrowth Companies Create Predictable Revenue, then all you have to do is leave a review on the iTunes store and email harry at the 20minutevc.com with the name that you left the review under and you'll be entered into the conversation but now it's time to dive into the show today so without further ado i'm delighted to welcome the wonderful Mathilde colin co-founder at front app good that's perfect okay i think we're warmed up well Mathilde, awesome to have you on the show thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me now i'd love to start off by hearing about how you came to be the founder of front and what the kind of origin story is for you yeah, sure. So um, I think as soon as I was able to think about uh, what my career, I think building a company was something that was very uh, attractive to me, uh, but I thought I would never be able to do it. Um, and so I graduated in 2012. Uh, just after that, I joined a company. It was a SaaS product. And for them, I launched a product. It was a contract management software. Um and after a year and a half, I thought, okay, so I think I understand really well how launching a SaaS product work. I think I can do it on my own. And so I'll quit this company and build another one. And at that time, I was working with someone in my office space and he was also willing to build another company. And so the, the question that we asked ourselves was, uh, we love uh, helping people work better. And so we try to think about what in the workplace is completely broken or could be improved. And the email was uh, obvious for us where um, I don't think that like seeing people, replying or forwarding, businessing, et cetera, is the future of email and is super efficient. And so we try to think about what can we do in this space to help how people work. That's I'm, how it started. I'm really intrigued there as to your own development then, because you said that you went off at the start and you thought, I'm not ready to start my own company. And and then having worked with the first SaaS company, you felt you understood it well enough to do your own. So what do you think you learned from that company that gave you the confidence to go off and do your own what, what was the enabling um yeah it's it's a good question i i think um the the first thing is when you've not started a company i think everything feels very abstract um so there are a lot of things that you need to do you need uh to have product skills to be the product you have to to have marketing skills to have people sign up to your product you have to have sales team sales skills to have people buy your product uh you have to have like hr skills to hire people etc and i think those skills you don't learn them at school i didn't learn them at school and so until i had written my first blog post 
I had sold my first product. I had hired my first salesperson, etc. That's how I realized that I could maybe do it. But it's very hard if you've, uh, I felt it really hard when you've never done it to realize that maybe you could do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I want to then touch on the experience of YC because you went to YC with Front. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to ask the typical why YC. You know, a lot of people get asked why YC and it's quite, it's quite bloody obvious really, isn't it? YC is uh, a brilliant accelerator, probably the world's best. So I'm not going to ask that, but I'm going to ask what were the biggest takeaways for you from YC and how have you applied them to, to the workings of Front going forward today? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, there is one biggest takeaway. Uh, so the way YC works is that you're there for three months and every Tuesday night you have a dinner with um, a very famous entrepreneur. And so for us, it was uh, maybe the guys who created Stripe, who created Facebook, who created Optimizely, etc. And my biggest takeaway was that even if those people look super successful, um, they are struggling every day. And also when they were at your stage, so pre-product, they were struggling as well. And so I think the fact that it's hard for everyone is not super intuitive because you just hear about um, companies that, that work really well and you have no idea that sometimes it was hard for Stripe and they didn't know if they would keep on doing this company. And just learn, like hearing that from the founders helped me tremendously. And after I heard all these stories, like I never asked myself whether it was normal or not that building a company was hard. I took it for granted. And so the only thing I was focusing on was making this company grow. And I have to ask then, going back to your personal side, sorry, very quickly, you know, the enterprise space is uh, probably populated mostly by older CEOs and founders. And so I have to ask, as, as a very young founder in the space, how, how do you feel entering the industry? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, I think it's, it's a strength, uh, for me to be very young because, um, that way I don't apply anything I've learned, uh, to, and, and I feel like since I have to create a brand new product that no one has imagined before, uh, a brand new marketing strategy, a brand new way to sell this product. It's very good that I'm very young because I'm naive. And so I have a lot of creativity, I think. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it doesn't change anything, honestly. Uh, when I when I hire people, when I raise money, uh, maybe some people can feel like it's a bit strange to be that young, but I've never felt like the age was, any, uh, was, was very compelling. The most important thing is is uh, how fast you learn and how willing you you are to be surrounded by people that can teach you. And that's something that I think I've done really well. And so I have amazing people who have helped me uh, along the the way. And that's why I think I'm able to do what I do today. And talking of kind of innovation and moving with the times, we've recently seen obviously the rise of bottoms up sales solutions uh, and the infiltration into big corporates through the bottoms up approach. So, so, and that definitely is the case with front. Is that your sales strategy? Yeah. So, Yes, first of all, you you always have to start small. I think it's very hard to build a product that will, um, after a few weeks, be able to be used by a, a, a huge company. Uh, but but for us, we have something that's very specific to our product. Um, so it's it's a product that really helps companies communicate better, and it can be used by very different teams. So we have partnerships teams, sales team, operations teams, support teams, and so our sales strategy is very much 
lend and expand. And so we always start with like one tiny team at Tesla is using it, but then another one and another one and another one. And it's always easier to sell to an existing customer than to sell to a new customer. Absolutely. And what do you think are the benefits of this gradual, gradual approach to sales instead of the full onboarding of a mass corporate? Yeah, I think it keeps the sales cycle super short. And and I want to then go back to kind of the APRE YC uh, experience. And, you know, usually after YC, there's this fundraising scrap between the VCs for the latest talent. So I have to ask then, being a European company originally, why did you choose to take US funds following YC? And how do you compare the two ecosystems? Yeah, so actually the fun thing is I didn't choose to raise with U.S. investors. So after YC, uh, I had some relationship with uh, European investors as well. And so I just said, okay, so we'll raise $3 million and that's the valuation who's in, uh, and then took some meetings. Almost no European VC uh, replied, whereas we raised in like 10 days in the U.S. Uh, so I think it's more than you. American VCs were more willing to invest in the company that, that's European VCs. And, and so then the question is, why is that? I think the, the main reply is the way investors think about an investment in the early stage is different in Europe and in, in, in the U.S. from what I've experienced. So I, I don't know if it's always true, but what I've seen is that the reasoning behind an investment in the U.S. is really, do you think this company could be really, really big? And do you think I will have a lot of regrets if I don't invest? Um, so a good example for that is uh, Peter Thiel on Reddit, uh, who was asked, uh, what's your biggest fail in terms of investment? And he said that it was not to invest in Facebook Series A which is interesting, right? Because it's not an investment that he made and that he felt, but an investment that he didn't make. So, and I felt that the US was really like that where uh, the way I had to convince them to invest was uh, to prove them that potentially front could really be a huge company and deeply change how people work. And email is huge. Uh, there has been no innovation. And so if someone managed to find a way to innovate in that space, it, it could be really big. On the other side, I think it was a scary idea for European investors. And the reasoning is not uh, exactly the same. It's more, do you have something that works? Um, and then if the answer is yes, then uh, we'll give you money to scale it. So do you have a product that works? Do you know how you acquire uh, customers? Uh, what's your cost of acquisition? What's your business plan, et cetera, et cetera. And I think for us, it was too early. Uh, we, we had just launched for like two months ago when we raised our seed. And so I didn't have the answers to those questions. And I think that's why I ended up raising with American VCs. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned there kind of the, the metrics that European VCs really hone in on, even at the seed stage for SaaS companies, because SaaS maybe has more metrics than others. But but then for the US VCs, what did they hone in on? Was it the mission? Was it the team? Um, yeah, I think it's um, I think it's definitely the team is uh, uh, probably the, the most important thing. Uh, and then uh, what I had to convince them about was really about, obviously, there is a problem in the email space. No one innovates. Uh, it's very archaic. Everyone uses Gmail and Outlook. And so I think they were convinced that that was a good idea. What they were interested in was our go-to-market and what would be our first product and then second product and then third product, etc. Uh, so that's where I had to be. 
convincing. But it was really just like the vision and the way to that vision plus the team and nothing else. And, and for me, being in the European venture scene, we always hear that it, US VCs just invest more at higher valuations. Did you find that to be the case? No, I, I, I don't think that's what I've experienced. I think pr- probably because there is more money and because everything is uh, c- cost more money here, they probably give more money and so the valuation is higher. Uh, but that was m- not the most inter- interesting thing about uh, US money versus uh, European money. I think the state of mind of investors was really something that was uh, very intriguing and something that uh, I was very surprised to discover. And and I want to then kind of flip over to the US venture scene. And I spent some time there recently. And US VCs take a lot of meetings and, and really like to see the whole market. As you say, they don't like to miss out. So how as a founder do you ensure that you're you're doing more than just meeting these investors? And how do you try and extract value from from these meetings? In in the in in the first meetings, I think it was the first time I really had to talk about front end the vision. I feel like on a day to day basis, what I do is um, I sell front, I build the product, I talk to users, I sell front, I talk to users, I build the product, and so there are very few moments when uh, you're challenged on your vision. And because those VCs take a ton of meetings and get to see a lot of companies, especially in your space, if they're interested in your space. I really learned a lot from them challenging my vision and being excited or um, not excited. Mm -hmm. And how did you choose the investors that you ended up with? Was it a kind of strategic decision? Yeah, so for us, we, we mainly raised with angel investors. So we have 34 angels and we just have uh, one fund that invested. The reason for that, so the investors are really um, either people in the email space, like the guy who created Gmail or Yahoo Mail or investors in the SaaS industry. Um, and the reasoning behind that was I knew I was really young. I knew it was my first company and I felt like the thing that could help me the most was entrepreneurs who have done that before, either in, in the email space space or just in the SES space. So that was the reasoning. And then the VC firm was Softec VC and the guy, Jeff Clavier is French and uh, I really get on very well with him. Do you and now? So... That is a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jeff's brilliant. Jeff's been on the show before actually. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so what's your interaction with the VCs like then? I mean, often we kind of hear front raises 3 million and and that's that. What, what do you look for from them on an ongoing basis in terms of value? Is it guidance? Is it yeah. Um, so, for example, Jeff, we um, we have a call every other week um, uh, or we meet every other week. And so I think it's really guidance. I think um, it's it's very hard when it's your first company to know what you should achieve. Uh, when it's the early days, I think you, you know that you should have a product that works uh, and just build the product. But then what metrics should you aim at? Uh, so I didn't know if like what, what's expected uh, from me. Should I grow three times, five times in the year or um, 10% every month or 20%? And um, how should I hire executives? Because I don't know how to do that, how much they're paid. I mean, all the things, I don't know them. And meeting with someone every other week really helps a ton. And, and then in terms of kind of addressing those hires, how do you know what questions to ask? So for a VP of sales, you know, you're a first time founder. How do you know what the right VP of sales looks like? The truth is, I don't know. I think for every position, uh, the interview process is different. Um, what's for sure is that I've made a lot of mistakes when I first hired people. Um, and that was mistakes like 
I didn't do any background check, uh, like I did a reference check, sorry. Uh, so I never, because I think in France, you don't usually do that. And so I never called anyone who had worked with that person before. And then I learned that in the US, every person does that and it's super valuable. And so um, I think I just learned over time whether, what, what other things that I should do. I think for uh, executive positions, uh, I always have the person meet with one of our investors uh, just because I think they have more experience than I do and they sometimes can th- see something that I could never have seen. Um, and so because we have a, a lot of investors, I can ask to different people and so they are, that doesn't take too much time for them. And then the whole, the whole company still meet every, um, every potential hire. So that also gives me a lot of different perspective on the person. And yeah, I mean, um, there is, I think there is no, uh, magic recipe to hire. Um, maybe one advice that, that could be useful to other people is Patrick Collison from Stripe, um, who is helping me a lot in that journey, uh, told me that for your first hires, uh, one thing that you should ask yourself is, could this person be a co-founder? And so you have, you should have expectations as high as could this person be a co-founder? And I felt like it's a, it was very useful when I was interviewing people. And I'd, I'd love to then dive into a quick fire round called 60 seconds faster with you. So 60 seconds per answer. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. Okay, so if you could improve one aspect of yourself as a founder, what would it be? Um, I think I would sleep more. <laughs> okay, good answer. Uh, if you st- could start the process again and change one thing, is there anything you'd change? Uh, yeah, I would have dealt with a visa before because it took a year and a half to have the whole team here and it was too long and depressing. Mm-hmm. Very, very good answer. And then the transparency within startups, is it fundamental or not? Does it depend on the sector, the team? What are your take on transparency? Uh, I think it's fundamental. I don't think everything should be transparent, but there are a lot of things that are not transparent in companies and that should be. Should salaries be transparent? No. Okay. And then your favorite blog or newsletter? Wait, but why? Okay. Yeah, no, it's one of my favorites too. And then we're going to go into one more kind of longer form question. And that is, we spoke about innovation and kind of change within the SaaS space. And as a bottoms up product and beautiful UI product in front, I'd love to hear how you address kind of the evolution of content marketing and adopt that to to front strategy. Yeah. So interestingly, uh, content marketing has been the number one source of signups for us. Um, so in the, in the early days, even when we had no product, uh, just a homepage with a screenshot of a product that should be front, um, we, I, I blogged a lot, um, about the email space or about our journey and our learnings. And before we had a product, we had 3000 companies that had signed up to front. Um, so I'm a huge believer in content marketing. Um, what I found is just that there is not a lot of great content um, that's produced. And a lot of times you think that you should write and then have a good strategy to uh, share this content, but you don't focus too much on producing an amazing piece of content. And so I don't know if I've... I don't know if I have a good strategy for content. The only thing I know is every time we publish something at front, it takes forever to write it. But then when we publish it, it's shared a lot. And I've 
found it very successful to spend a ton of time writing one piece, but making sure it will provide a lot of value to people that read it. Do you, do, um, do you have a content creation um, kind of plan or cycle that you go through when you're thinking about it? Do you map out all the topics that you're looking at, hone all the blog posts you're going to reference? Is there a cycle? Um, so we we have a, a, a process. So first of all, we try to release at least two posts a month. Um, so sometimes it's four, uh, but at least two a month. Um, and then we always try to uh, write maybe one time out of three is an email really on, on the market we're in. Uh, one time out of three is really about our journey and the learnings. So how did we get to, I don't know, one million ARR? How did we make this first hire, etc.? And the th- uh, third one is always about uh, specifically use case uh, for our customers. So a lot of people use front for customer support. And so we'll give tips about customer support. Um, and, and that's how we do it. And so depending what topic it is, we don't share it the same way. Um, and we don't involve the same people in creating the, the piece of content. Well, Mathilde, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's been absolutely fantastic to hear the front journey. And I'm so grateful to you for sharing it with us. No, thank you so much, Harry. It was a pleasure. Please hang up and try again. And I'd like to say a huge thank you to Mathilde for giving up her time today to appear on the show. It was 8am for Mathilde when we recorded this, so well beyond the call of duty and we're very grateful for that. Also, do not forget if you would like the chance to win a signed copy of Jason Lemkin's new book, How Hypergrowth Companies Create Predictable Revenue, then all you have to do is leave a review on iTunes and email harry at the 20minutevc.com that's 20 in letters with the name that you left the review under on iTunes and you'll be entered into the competition. Also, if you'd like to stay up to date with the latest from Sasta, you can follow us on Twitter at Sasta, that's S-A-A-S-T-R, at Jason L-K and at Harry Stebbings. Thank you so much, as always, for your continued support, and we look so forward to bringing you our next episode on Friday.